You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. Hey, everybody. This is Wake Up Call, the podcast. I'm your host, Christina Previtt, and joining me today is Theophon McKenzie. He's the owner and founder of Smart Systematic Selling. Thank you for joining me today, Theophon. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, Christina. Of course. And uh, full disclosure, I have trained with you at S3, and um, I think very highly of you and your whole team. And we've had a lot of really great discussions just about sales, Mm -hmm. um, philosophies, but also specifically how to. And I know it's a scary subject for a lot of people. People are... um, they got, they have a lot of noise around sales and oh, yeah. it's a big problem if you're a business owner, because yep. how are you going to make money? Yep. Yep. Well, I, I think a lot of the time, what we think generally, when we think sales, we think of that used car salesperson. Hey, so Christina, welcome. What's it going to take to get you in this car today? Right. And, and so if, if I'm like a small business owner or you're an attorney, right? If I'm an attorney, if I'm somebody that's in a position where I have to have a conversation with another decision maker to get them to buy my product or service, I think I don't want to be that person that's doing that sale. I don't want to be perceived as that used car salesperson. And so that's why most people are like, sales is scary. It's, I, I, when you were growing up, your parents didn't want, they weren't like, oh, we want you to be a salesperson. No, that's the last job they ever wanted you to have because they have that perception too. And so yeah. when it comes to that fear, I think a lot of it is we don't want to be perceived as that person that has been sleazy and slimy and done those things to us. Yes. Well, the way I used to perceive sales, and I think a lot of other people have this problem. Mm-hmm. I used to think that you had to talk somebody into something mm-hmm. that yeah. maybe you were even talking them into something that they really didn't want to do or buy or have or whatever the case may be. And that's really what feels kind of dirty and sleazy about it. Yeah, absolutely. And also it's what seems like it would be really hard is how do you Mm -hmm. get someone to buy something they don't want or need? Mm -hmm. Well, traditionally, you just poke them and you keep bugging them and you call them and you email them. And now we text them until they either buy because they're just tired of you reaching out all the time or they tell you to go away. Yes. Which... Yeah, that's, that's traditional sales. That's traditional yes. sales. Poke, and... poke, poke. Are you ready? Poke, poke, poke. Are you ready? Poke, but fine, I'll buy. Just go away. Yeah, like how about now? How about right. now? How right, about right. now? How about and then, now? And then as soon as the sale is made and the product comes in and you're like, sales guy's gone. Okay, I'm sending this back and canceling this stupid thing, right? Yes. And something I really like about your system is that it's really the first time that I've heard someone say, the goal of the conversation is to get a yes or a no, mm-hmm. because I always thought the goal of the conversation was to get a yes. So you don't <laughs> stop at the no, you argue right. with the no, right? But your philosophy, and you correct me if I'm wrong anywhere, is yeah. if the answer is no, mm-hmm. then you want 
to know that the answer is no. So you can move on and yeah. not waste your time with that person anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the place that, that I come from, the place I've always come from when, when it comes to sales conversations is it's not about me. I'm there to have a conversation, not a, and I don't even look at it as a sales meeting, right? It's a conversation to determine whether or not the product or service that I'm representing can actually help the person that I'm meeting with. If I can't help them, if there is no need for my product or service, I will tell the prospect no. Yeah, because obviously you want to be able to help them. And if you can't, what happens, what, are we doing? what happens if I do sell somebody something that they don't actually need? They're not going to be happy. On, later on, they come back and they're like, ah, I don't actually, and, and they're, I'm, they're, they're not going to refer anybody to me. I might yeah. get some bad reviews. Oh, this guy was so pushy and he convinced me, he twisted my arm and that doesn't help anybody. So if I don't see a fit, and this is what I train my students on too. If I don't see a fit, if I don't see a need, I'm the first one to tell them no. I'm, I'm totally okay. Give me a no. I'll give you a no all day long. Give me a yes. If there's a fit, let's say yes and look at the next steps to working together. But yeah, I don't, I don't try to pressure people into the sale. And as a result, and I've been in sales for 20 plus years, but as a result, I get referrals regularly from my clients and from my sales training students. Yeah. When, and when I try to sell you to my friends, I'm like, mm -hmm. you, you really got to call Theophon. S3 is so great. It's not mm -hmm. going to be like any sales training you've had. It, you're not going to feel like you're learning how to be pushy or that there's some awful script and you have to say these weird, awkward things. Yeah. Um, you're really going to enjoy it. And they don't believe me. They really don't. Right. I don't think that they believe me. But right. I have to tell you, I have avoided sales training like the plague. And yeah. and you know, it took me a while to sign up for it. We'll go over your programs, but it took me a yeah. while to sign up for the dojo. Yeah. And I was so nervous like the first day because we I knew we would do role playing. Yeah. And I just thought it was so fun. I, I couldn't wait to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Which I can't it, even believe I'm saying. Right. <laughs> well, and, and okay. So, so when it comes to traditional sales, a lot of the time the salesperson has a sales manager and the salesperson has a metric they have to hit. And the sales manager is breathing down their neck and traditional selling is all about features and benefits, overcoming stalls and objections, doing everything that I possibly can to get you to buy from me. Because if I don't get the sale, my boss who's breathing down my neck, is probably going to write me up for not hitting my metric. And if I get written up, then I go on probation. If I'm on probation long enough and don't hit my number again, I got to go find a new job. So a lot of the time there's all this stress and anxiety. And it's like, you got to go get numbers, go hit your numbers, go get those sales. You got to make this happen. And if that's not happening, and so they just push, salespeople push and push and push. And what if you're a law firm owner? And you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to get these clients. I've got to convince them to work with me. I got to do whatever it takes to get them to come on board. And, and it's just an uncomfortable place. Or a lot of attorneys don't even want to be perceived as salespeople. That's another story entirely. And that's okay. But my point is, a lot of the time we're just like, no, I, I, don't, I don't want this product or service. Stop trying to push it on me. And the salespeople are compelled to push, push, push. Features yeah. and benefits, overcoming stalls and objections. It's all about getting the next sale because if they don't get the next sale, they're not going to get that money, that commission. They're not going to be able to pay their bills and they're just super stressed out. So they get really, really pushy. And so to your point, 
you were saying, when you share with people, oh, you got to look at this sales training. It's not like they go, yeah, sure, whatever, because that's not normal. That's not normal. Yeah. And, and because of our approach in smart systematic selling, it's not about the high pressure, stressful sale. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier. When you have a good conversation with somebody and you are actually able to help them with, their, with your product or service and you're not pushy about it and they come on board and they see that your product or service really can help them, you weren't lying to them and everything you told them is the truth, what happens? Then you start hitting your metrics you start hitting your numbers, your law firm starts getting more clients, and you're not stressed out. So there's this, I got to be high pressure because I have to hit my numbers because if I don't, and so that's features benefits, features overcome installs and objections, but that's short term. You might get the sale now, but you might lose them in a week, and you're probably not going to get referrals. If you take this approach, it might happen a little bit slower, but it has a much long, it has a very long lasting impact on your ability to continue to get trip off this. Here it is. Ready? Brand new salesperson in smart systematic selling is going to spend 80% of their time prospecting and 20% of their time with their new clients. Over the course of six months, they're going to watch those numbers flip. Approximately six months later, they're going to be spending 80% of their time with their existing clients and 20% of their time prospecting. Because as a result of approaching sales the right way, they're going to have a money tree growing in their backyard. Well, why didn't you just tell me that, Theophan? It's like, there's another one. There's another one. Because then the referrals just start coming in. Well, let's go back to something else you said. Sure. That lawyers, and there are other people that fall into this category, they don't think of themselves as selling or doing sales. And, and Right. I want to hear you talk about this, but I will say if you have a business, I don't care what you're selling. Okay. We use the word selling. Please take right. note. You're mm -hmm. selling something. Yep. It doesn't yep. matter what it is. Yep. Yeah. Well, we sell each other all the time. Friends and family. We sell, sell each other all the time. Like you got to check out the new coffee shop up the road. Oh my gosh. They make the best mocha. Christina, it's incredible. You've got to stop by on your way to work. We do that kind of stuff to each other all the time. So we're selling all the time. Whenever we put ourselves in a position like, oh, I'm, the, I'm a small business owner. I'm, I'm an attorney. Attorneys went to law school to learn how to practice law. My uncle is actually a magistrate now, a magistrate in Indiana. He used to be a criminal defense attorney, but now he's a magistrate. And he had shared with me, he said, you know, I went to law school. I had to memorize all these statutes and learn all this case law and all this stuff. And then I went into business for myself and they don't teach you how to run a business in law school, mm -hmm. right? So if you're an attorney and starting your own practice, they don't teach you how to do that in law school. No. They also don't teach you how to sell in law school. But if you're going to be an attorney and go into private practice, you're going to have to sell. Every time a PNC sits in front of you, you're selling. And if yes. you're using features and benefits to sell them, then you're doing traditional selling, which is really hard. What's a PNC just for people who don't know? Great question. 
potential new client. <laughs> In sales, okay. sales terminology, we just say prospects, but I've, we work with more than 30 law firms in the last 12 months at, at S3. And I learned that language recently. PNC stands for potential new client. <laughs> yes. Or, or lead, right? Or That's lead, what some yep, people might yep. call them. Yeah. Um, so what about the people that say, well, I am so good at what I do. I have this wonderful establishment that I don't need to sell in the traditional sense. I just need to sit here and be awesome. Yeah. And, and if, if you've got more business than you know what to do with, then that's true. I agree. You don't have to sell. You figured out some magic secret sauce and it's working for you. What, what do they call that? A unicorn? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a unicorn. <laughs> but if you're not a unicorn, yeah. um, you, need, you do need to learn some skills to mm -hmm. sell your wonderful services. And it's not about yeah. taking advantage of anybody. It's, it's just about learning to have that conversation right. where you're, uh, you know, seeing if you're a good fit for each other, if you can actually help this person mm -hmm. and then expecting, and this is another thing that people have a problem with expecting to really be paid for the value of their services, because right. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people that are doing a little too much for free or maybe they're not charging enough. Yep. Can you speak to that? Ooh, in which industry? <laughs> well, you know, of course, I'm a lawyer. So a lot of my lawyer friends will be listening to this. But I'm thinking of other people. I know people that own gyms. I don't know people that own nail salons um, yep. that are coaches yep. that um, are selling ad space for a radio yep. station. Yep. So it applies yep. really to all of them. Yeah. Well, I, and I, I started as a, a professional coach in private practice about 15 years ago. And at first I didn't, I didn't charge for my coaching consultations and everybody and anybody wanted a consultation. <clears throat> Christina, I even had a guy, an outside sales guy that I had, had talked to at a networking event. And I, I got him to agree to a consultation with me because it's complimentary. If you could imagine here we are in a private room, door closed. I'm sitting across from him. I've got my notepad. I'm ready to start my consultation. And he busts out his three ring binder and starts telling me all about the company he works for. And let me tell you about the history. All of a sudden I was in a sales meeting and I just got to a point with that kind of stuff, kicking tires and them selling. I just, okay, that's enough. So then I started charging for my consultations, which is a very uncomfortable place because I think I'm getting all these complimentary consultations. This is great. If I start charging, I'm not going to get any. That was my thought too. But I thought, I'm going to start with a small amount, $97. Guess what? People were scheduling consultations. Not as many, but, but they were. And they were like, $97? Okay, no problem. I actually only did that for about a month. And then I went, huh, now I'm going to make it $197. They still scheduled. Those tire kickers went away. Those people that were going to try to sell me, they completely disappeared. I did $197 for about a month. And then I went, huh, how about $297? So, and that's where I've always sat. So for one-on-one -on -one coaching, I charge $297 for my consultation and they still come. And when I tell somebody it's $297 for a one-hour consultation with me, if they go, oh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you. I go, oh, okay. They can't afford me. Moving on. Or they don't see the value. They don't see the value. Well, yeah, that could be. Or they're tire kicking and they're trying to get free consultations. Yes. And, and that's the thing. 
there are people that will come and I'll talk to, oh, 297. Oh yeah, I'll get back to you. And then they go talk to other coaches that are doing complimentary consultations. And that's fine. I don't want them anyway. So whatever business you're running, if it's coaching, if it's a law practice, I, there are attorneys. And again, I've worked with 30 plus attorneys in the last year. It's 50-50. Some charge for consultations, some don't. I don't judge. I'm like, hey, whatever you're comfortable with. I recommend they start charging, but whatever you're comfortable with. Personally, I think you should probably charge. Personally. Why? Christina, you went to law school. It was cheap, right? Yes, it was very cheap. Very cheap. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> You, you've got, you still got student loans. I don't know you, but we, we got student loans we have to pay for. It's not cheap. Getting that degree wasn't cheap. And then the business expenses. And why am I going to spend time meeting with somebody that's a tire kicker just because I, oh, maybe I'll get it. Maybe I'll get it. If I charge them, I definitely won't. But if I don't charge them, maybe I'll get it. No, I say, uh, I say, get rid of those tire kickers, get rid of the people that are looking for the Kmart blue light special and start charging for your consults. But again, it's 50-50. Some of the law firms I talk to and the attorneys themselves will say, you know what? I wouldn't pay a consultation fee to meet with an attorney if I needed one. I'm not going to charge my people. Okay. That's totally fine. It's totally fine. But if you start charging for your consultations, I'm telling you right now, you will see fewer consultations, but you will watch your conversion rate. Conversion equals consult to new paying client. You will watch your conversion rate start climbing. You'll have less consultations and you'll get more clients. You, yes. you get what you pay for. You've heard that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, I'm gonna, if I personally am going to call an attorney and I find out this one has a free consultation, me, me, based on my life and where I am in my world, I'm going to go, oh, okay, that's nice. When I find one that charges for their consult, I'm going to book. Really? Yeah. But you're probably not even going to get much out of the consultation anyway, if it's free. Mm, no, no, I, I would disagree with that. because really? Because there are attorneys that I've talked to. See, attorneys don't know how to sell. You don't learn how to do that in law school. What do you know how to do? Be a lawyer. Huh? Well, you don't really even learn that in law school. <laughs> you learn a lot of law. You learn a lot of law and you learn how to apply that law to the situations that people find themselves in their lives. For example, I've worked with several immigration firms over the, over the last year. And, and one particularly shared with me that in the consult, he realized he has to stop telling them what forms they're going to fill out when they retain him because they'd take notes. Oh, we're going to do form this and that. And they're like, oh, okay, great. And he's telling, you know, it's going to be about this length of time. Or we're going to talk to the, to the this and that. And, and they're taking notes. Well, so are you ready to start working with me? Oh, well, let me, let me get back to you. I'm going to talk to a couple other people. He just gave them all the information they need to go do it themselves. So they don't have a problem anymore. Right. Well, they might have a problem, but not something they're asking him to help with. Right. When somebody comes to an attorney, it's because they have a need. If somebody meets with a salesperson, it's because they have a need. They're not just curious. I don't know about you, but I'm busy. I'm not going to meet with somebody unless I have a need. So when they come to meet with you, they already have a need. And in today's day and time with all of this stuff, we do research as buyers before we go meet with a salesperson. So I probably know quite a bit about your company from doing online research. So I already know a lot and I have a need. 
So when you're in a consultation with a prospective client or a PNC or a lead, or when you're in that consult, if you, they have a need, need equals pain. They've got some sort of a pain point that they're coming to you for. If you solve that pain in the consultation, once the pain goes away, so does the willingness to pay. Hey, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, this is great. I will be in touch. Yeah, and like, sure. And then two weeks later, you're like, where'd that person ever go? That's because yeah. you solved their pain. What, what about the people that would say, and, and I'm actually thinking of something specific when COVID was really in full force. Uh-huh. There were some people that I had said, oh, you know, you could you could really start selling what this you know, thing you do on the side, mm -hmm. um, because there's a need for it now, you know, people mm -hmm. can't leave their homes, you know, kids aren't going to school and this and that. And there were two different people in particular. I won't out them on here. Sure. <laughs> That's their reaction was, oh, no, I'm not going to take advantage of people like that. And it was interesting to me that that's where their brain went, that they would be taking advantage of people if they actually asked to be paid for their time and, and their knowledge to help them with whatever their problem was. Yeah. That that's more of a mindset thing. Yeah. So that's, you can teach them people. getting in their own way. Yes. Yeah. Self-sabotage. Yeah. So yeah. you can teach someone the S3 methodology, but, um, how do you also sort of coach them or train them on some of those mindset pieces too? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. And more yes, because we always get in our own way. And a lot of people, like some of the folks you've shared it, like, oh, you've got to take a look at this. Oh, yeah, sure. Whatever. Even when they come into the sales training, they're like, okay, I'm sure I'm going to hear something that's traditional in here because we, you're right. We do address the methodology. There's a very clear defined system as to how the conversation should go. It's broken up into pieces but there is an overlying methodology. And then there's psychology behind the reasons that everything happens the way that it does. So that people, as you're coming through the training, the students see why we do what we do, the rhyme and reason behind it, and it makes sense. And then as a result of the way that we teach the training, a lot of the time, they start to get out of their own way. And you don't see that you're taking advantage of people. And, and, you know, we do open office hours. We could talk about how the program's laid out a little bit yeah. later, but I, I just had a student in open office hours and, and it still happens, right? And we're still available to the students. Even after you come through the training, we have ongoing practice and open. So anyway, one of our students says, hey, you know, we noticed that this is happening in the sales process. And as a result, I changed this right here. I changed this and it's had a ripple effect. And now it's taking this much of my time and that and this. And I was like, okay, hold on, hold on. Tell me a little bit more about the scenario. I'm not going to out anybody either. Tell me a little bit about the scenario. What, what's going on? And, and she shared with me. And then I asked her, I said, how often has this happened in the last six months? This thing that caused you to make this change. And she said, well, one time. And I said, okay, so because of something that happened one time in the last six months, you've made huge changes to your sales process. Is that right? Uh-huh. And I said, I don't take this the wrong way, but are you maybe making a mountain out of a molehill? Are you getting in your own way? See, I've studied neurolinguistic programming and NLP for short teaches us that there are three things that we do with information that happens, not, you know, experiences that we have and information. There's three things we do. We generalize, we distort, and we delete. I'm not going to talk about generalizing and deleting, but I will talk about distorting. 
with distorting, what happens is, let's say you go to a restaurant, you go once a quarter and you've been going for the last five years, Christina, you love this restaurant. The service is fantastic. The food is delicious. A plus every time you go. This one time you go with your family and it sucks. Your steak comes back. I don't know if you eat meat. Your steak comes back. You wanted it medium. It came back rare. You were like, what? This isn't what I wanted. You sent it back. It came back to you, refired, still wrong. You sent it back again. You're so frustrated. You're so upset. And the manager comes and he's like, oh, sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. And you're like, oh my God, is this really happening? And so you think, I am never going to that restaurant again. They're terrible. And you tell all your friends now, don't ever go there. They're terrible because of one experience. I just right? did that at Dry Bar. <laughs> okay, right? So, so even, so yes, to answer your question, in the training, we talk about the methodology, the psychology, and we help you get out of your own way. But even after you finish the training, if you can't come up against a bump in the road, we're there for you to still help you get out of your own way. Because we know that people distort situations and things that yeah. are happening. And we want to help them to see it from a, a bigger place and get out of their own way. So. so tell me how you personally ended up working in sales. Because I think your parents never said, Theophon, we want you to grow up and be a salesman. Yes. Tell me how this all happened. Yep. So uh, golly, wow. Long time ago, long time ago. So I lived in Alaska for 23 years in Anchorage, Alaska. And you're in New Jersey. Yes. I was born in New York, born in New York. And I was seven or eight years old. We moved from New York, Long Island to Anchorage, Alaska. My parents were big hunting and fishing and camping family. So we moved to Alaska and I lived there for 23 years. Anyway, here I go. I'm, I'm growing up. My first sales job I was introduced by my girlfriend, her best friend's mom owned a collection agency called Checkrite of Alaska. And in high school, people were always like, oh, you should be a salesperson. You're so personable. And, and so my girlfriend was like, hey, you should talk to my best friend's mom, see if she'll hire you. And I was like, okay, cool. So I went and talked to her mom. It was a small collection agency and they collected bounce checks primarily back when we still wrote checks. Yeah. It was called Checkrite of Alaska. They, I don't even think they're around anymore. Um, so I talked to her mom. It was her mom and her daughter ran the front desk where they took payments. And then she had like three collectors, really small collection agency. Her mom loved me. She's like, you're hired. In fact, you're the only one. Why don't we make you the sales manager? I was like, cool. Here I am. Very first sales job ever. And I'm the sales manager, right? I didn't know what I was doing. Had no idea. So I was one of those folks. I was selling features and benefits. I was overcoming stalls and objections. And I was just, I was pounding the streets. I was fearless. I would knock on doors. I'd make cold calls. And I'd only been there for maybe two or three months before I decided to go for, I think it was Mapco or Williams Express. At the time, it was the largest gas station chain in Alaska. I put my big boy pants on and I was like, I'm going to go get this big client. I'm going to go get him, this big prospect. And so I called him out of the blue and I was like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. I'd love to meet with you. And this guy was like, yeah, sure. Come on by kid. And so Christina, I show up, I got the meeting. I show up at this building and it was probably, I don't know, a dozen stories, which 12 stories in Alaska is pretty big building. Right. And, and I remember I showed up and I go up, they were like on the top floor ish. And so I go up there and the double doors open. I'm wearing a polo shirt and chinos. The double doors open to the elevator and I step out. It's all brass and glass. A receptionist behind the desk. I'm like, mm -hmm. 
Like I was like, oh my God, right? And so this guy comes out and he's wearing a suit and he's like, oh, nice to meet you. Come on back. And we go to his corner office up on like the 10th floor, 12th, whatever corner office. It's one of these nice big offices. He's got his own desk. He's got a little conference table in his office. I was so intimidated and overwhelmed. He's like, why should I go with you? And I just started spitting out features and benefits. And he was like, well, hey, great. I'm going to think about it. Thanks for stopping by. Right. And then, so that, so that was all right. So that happened. And then a couple of days later, I got a phone call. This guy, the VP of marketing for another collection agency, he calls me. Are you so-and-so? I was like, yeah, that's me. He goes, so who, who do you think you are? And I was like, sorry, what? Yeah, who do you think you are? You're going after one of our biggest clients? You actually talked to so-and-so over at Williams. I can't remember if it's Williams Express or Mapco or whatever. He's like, yeah. you, you called them? And I'm like, well, yeah. Who do you think you are, dude? You can't call me. I'm doing my job. He's like, okay, yeah. I'd like to take you to lunch. I was like, you do? <laughs> So I met with him for lunch in a public place, right? <laughs> How old were you? Uh, 20, 19. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we had lunch together and he just loved me. So he invited me to come back to the office. So I went over to the office that same day. I met the owner of the collection agency. They were bigger. There were four principals and they had like a dozen collectors. They didn't only been open for about six months. Another story entirely, but they, the, the owner got to meet me and showed me around. And at the end of the meeting, he says, oh, and I, I found out that that guy that called me, like, who do you think you are? I'm, I'm Greek Orthodox. Come to find out he's Greek Orthodox too, but he goes to a different, he attended a different church. So we're like family. So we immediately connected, right? And so he sh they showed me around the collection agency. And at the end, the owner, he goes, yeah, we, we'd like to hire you. And I said, okay when can I start? <laughs> and it was like a Thursday, I think is when I had met with them. And he says, well, why don't you just go home, take the weekend, pray about it and, and let me know what you want to do on, on Monday. And I remember I said, okay, well, what time do you guys open on Monday? He says, well, we open at eight. And I said, okay, can I be here at 745? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the reason I'm mentioning all that is so I went to work for that collection agency and they brought this old sales trainer in. Like this old guy came in and trained us on a non-traditional method of selling. And so I was really fortunate to learn back then a conversational approach to selling. And that's what I've always done over the years. It's been 20 plus years at this point. And then, and then in 2005, 2000, no, not 2005, 2006, like five or six years ago. So what, 2016, 2015-ish, I got to a point where, because I've, I've worked as a professional coach in private practice since 2006, and I got to a point about five or six years ago where I was just like, because I've worked with sales teams, I've worked with VPs of sales, I've worked with all kinds of different people, small business owners, and I was like, you know what, we need a new method of selling. We need a new approach and smart systematic selling was born. So I, I took what I'd learned 20 plus years ago, the bones of that, and I put my own knowledge and my own experience on top of that. And that's how S3 came to be. I think that's awesome. I love that story. You didn't have any fear, it sounds like. Mm -mm. You're no. pretty ballsy. 
because it was a big accomplishment <laughs> just to get into that guy's corner office. Yeah. Yeah. But that that changed everything for me. It really was. Did. Was your girlfriend's mom upset that you had to quit? Yeah, because I wasn't there for very long. It was only a couple months <laughs> and I didn't give her much notice. I was young. I was dumb. You know what I mean? I found something that was obviously clearly the bigger and better competitor. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not staying. After you've seen the promised land, how can you go back into the desert? Right. I was just like, I can't go back there now. I can't. I cannot ethically go sell that anymore because these guys clearly have it together. But isn't that interesting how that one little experience that kind of probably didn't seem that important at the time really led you to something so much bigger that you ended up doing the rest of your life? Yeah, I was going for a big sale <laughs> for this little collection agency. I was like, I'm going to bring them some. I'm going to get them a whale. I'm going to get them some serious business. Yeah, that's it did. funny. It changed, it changed everything. So, and also like this cold calling that you were doing and, and knocking on doors. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people just... They just don't have the balls to do that. Yeah, it's I'm brutal. one of them. <laughs> it, it's, brutal. it's brutal. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I am not comfortable with it. It's not really? easy. You have, oh gosh, there's a huge, there's, there's a reason that we say that the phone weighs 80 pounds. This thing weighs 80 pounds. And I can tell you, I don't know. What is this? A pound? 79. No, not even, right? Not even. So, so 70, 79 and a half of those pounds are between our ears. We have to get out of our own way. It's not easy. And I, I'm, I am no different than anybody else. Every I actually need to make a, a call, a, a prospecting call today to somebody very specific. I have to call them today. I should have done it this morning. I'm putting it off. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, everybody. Fun. I but thought I you were immune to all that. No, no, no. It's not immunity. It's just the, the mental fortitude to just get out of your own way. You just go, that's it. I'm just going to do it. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm just going to do it. And you make it happen. So I'm not comfortable cold calling. If I'm going out and knocking on doors, it is not a comfortable experience. Picking up the phone, it is not a comfortable. And I'm telling you right now, if there's anybody out there that says that they love cold calling, I am not, I am not certified to actually identify these types of people. But I can tell you right now, if anybody says they're comfortable with cold calling, they're a psychopath. <laughs> I just a you can't be you can't be comfortable with it. It's just impossible. But you do it, you do it because you know the more I do it, the more success I'm going to see. I thought you were going to say they're lying. No, well they are lying. They're not comfortable with it, or they're a psychopath. Yeah, yes, one or the other. Or that. Or the other. So, and and you know I've done I've done a lot of personal development over the years, and and one of the things that I do to help myself get out of my own way is there, there's um, uh, Mel, uh, Mel Robbins. Have you heard of her? I don't think so. Okay. I, uh, am I balding by chance? <laughs> um, I don't know. I can't really tell. No relation to Anthony, Tony Robbins, but there's this lady, Mel Robbins. She doesn't know me personally, but here, here's a plug for you, Mel Robbins. <laughs> she's very well known. So you should tag her so that I met. I will. I will. So I, I hey, met, Mel. I did. I met her briefly at a convention years ago, but she's got this book, the five second rule. Watch this in a nutshell, in a nutshell. Are you ready? Whenever you start to get in your own way about something like picking up the phone and making a cold call, you just go five, four, three, two, one, go. And you just do it. But you have to recognize you're getting in your own way. Yes. And, and the book does help you to realize that you are getting in your own way. Here's an example of getting in your own way. Christina, when was the last time that your alarm went off? 
in the morning to wake you up and you hit snooze? Probably sometime in the past week. Hmm? We all do it. She says, if you're tired of doing that, the snoo the alarm goes off and you go five, four, three, two, one, get up. And you just get up. So as soon as those thoughts start getting into your head, oh, don't call. They're probably going to be busy. Don't call. They're probably heading home. Don't call five, four, three, two, one. Just make the freaking call. Just do five, it. four, three, two, one. Just get out of bed. Five, four, three, you- two, one. Just have the tough conversation. So you haven't made your call yet today, though. Although you are on the West Coast. It's true. Yes. Still plenty of time. It's not even noon here yet. (laughs) You have plenty of time to procrastinate. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm kind of curious, like, what kind of call would make Theophon McKenzie, the owner and founder of S3? I don't want to say nervous, if that's the right word. Hmm? Yeah. You don't have to obviously identify the person, but. Yeah, no, no. It's a, it's a, actually, it's the VP of marketing for a very large auto company. Well known. If I said the brand, you'd be like, oh my gosh, people drive those all the time. It's a VP of marketing, very high level guy at this company. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a normal person, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm a small company owner, and this is a VP of marketing in a very large company. It's intimidating, kind of like when I was a kid. And I went into the, the Williams Express offices or map, whatever it was, and met with that guy on the, the, the suit and the same thing, same thing. Well, is you, the do fear... it. you do it though. You still do it. You make it happen. Yeah, you do it. But isn't yeah. the fear always that it's going to be that they're going to say no? Is that the fear? Well, it's all those thoughts. Oh, he probably doesn't want to hear from me. Oh, you know, we're still in the pandemic. They still probably don't have a budget. Oh, well, this and oh, that and all the things. Just five, four, three, two, one. Just make the call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, so tell me about your, your career in sales then. So you, you were lucky that you learned this non-traditional approach really early before you had really developed a lot of bad habits. Yep. That people develop over time. Yep. So you were lucky in that sense. Mm -hmm. How close would you say it is to S3? Uh, It's, I I think it's unrecognizable. A lot of the concepts and ideas are, are the same. Um, But it, it really does go back to what I've been doing in my career. That's been successful. So like really leaning into those conversations and, and, and I don't think that trainer had learned neuro-linguistic programming and um, uh, what the positive psychology and I've, I've studied a lot of different modalities and stuff. And so you'll see some of those in the sale. If you're trained in those, you'll see them in the sales training here and there. Um, For example, we talk about building and maintaining rapport and in building and maintaining rapport, we learn about something called primary representation systems. That's not mine. That comes from neurolinguist. That comes straight from NLP. So there's there it, it it doesn't look very much like what I learned way back when as a system. Some of the concepts and ideas are the same, but it's very different. So what are some of the um, you know more common challenges you see with people when you're teaching them sales? Main, mainly what we've been hitting on quite a bit is getting out of their own way. Yeah. I mean, first of all, if you are meeting with a decision maker to get them to purchase your product or service, 
you're in sales. I don't care what your title is, you're in sales. I talked to a lady at a networking event pre-pandemic and it was really funny. She goes, oh yeah, I'm in business development at ABC company. I was like, oh, you're in sales. She goes, no, I'm in business development. And I mean, it was clear, like she had some block around being in sales. Like, how dare you say I'm in sales? Seriously. And then it got really awkward and uncomfortable. And no, I'm in, I'm in business development. And then she like looked away from me and I was like, oh snap, that, that's common, right? <laughs> Uh, some of the biggest challenges, mm, I would say, well, getting out of your own way, and that's an example, but um, I, I would say like talking about money is a big challenge yeah. for people in yeah. sales. Um, talking is a big problem for people in sales. Think about this. Talking? <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. Here, here's, check this out. Think about this. If your prospect is listening, you're not selling. That's a good point because mm -hmm. a lot of people think that they should be doing all the talking mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that they're selling. If they're selling is talking. Yeah. So yeah. talk about that more because I mm -hmm. think that's a hard one for people that haven't really had sales training. Yeah. Well, and that's because most of us come from this traditional place. Like, hey, let me tell you all about my product. Let me tell you about this widget. I mean, it's amazing. And oh, Christina, you probably don't have a widget like this. I mean, you might have a widget, but not like this one. Let me tell you all about this one. And what people do is they tend to try to throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. And so salespeople tend to do a lot of this. They suffer from alligator syndrome. They, they have a really big mouth and two little ears, but they don't know a different way. And so what I just said, if your prospect is listening, you're not selling, that's because you're suffering from alligator syndrome and you think you're selling, but you're not. You're making it all about yourself and all about how your product or service works and what it could potentially, no, 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 I I'm, I'm talking about what it could do for them. Yeah, but you're talking about yourself and your product or service. Yeah. But you don't, you don't even know what they need. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little more? I mean, I don't, I'm not asking you to do the whole S3 right now, but sure. give sure. us a little taste of that. Cause I think that's foreign to a lot of people is what yeah. do you mean I should be listening to them. Mm -hmm. What am I well, listening for? You really have to become a, a conversational master. And Christina, you're doing a great job because you're listening to what I'm saying and then finding a new direction to go based on what I'm sharing with you during our, our podcast, our conversation. But it's very similar to that. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. In, in sales meetings, what most salespeople do is they present their product or service because that's what they've been trained to do. It's like present on the front end. Here it is. This is what we do. Anything getting you excited, right? We take a different approach. Everything you think you're supposed to do, you don't do in S3. Did, have you ever seen Seinfeld? Yeah. You remember the, the episode with George Costanza where he decided that he was going to do the opposite of what he was thinking he should do? Yes. And all of a sudden he saw brilliant success. And then at yes. the end of the episode, he started going back to his old ways and everything just started falling apart. <laughs> That's S3. Do the opposite of what you think you're supposed to do. So in a sales meeting, instead of doing this, shut up. It's not about you. It really is not about you. Salespeople, if you're listening to this or watching, it's not about you. Nobody cares about you. It's your responsibility to find out what the prospect needs. 
and I don't mean talk to your marketing department to identify what your ideal clients typically need from a 30,000 foot view. Our, our ideal clients have these two pain points. So when you meet with them, these are the things we're going to talk about in the sales meeting. That's not what I mean. Salespeople today, modern salespeople think they're armed with that data and information so they can go into a sales meeting and tell their ideal clients exactly what they need. They're missing the mark because that is not what they need. You don't tell them what they need. You have to shut up, make the conversation about the prospect, let them talk, let them share. They'll tell you what they need. You just have to give them that opportunity. Yeah. And then, and then as we're in that conversation, we ask them curious questions and we practice active listening to draw out of them what it is that they need. So salespeople today, in order to be successful, must become masters of conversation. They've got to be able to listen and ask curious questions based on what they're hearing to navigate that conversation and find out what the prospect actually needs. If there is no need that matches with what you're selling, there is no client and you have a responsibility to tell them no. But if you shut up and listen, and as a result, start to hear that you can help them, guess what? Now you have a new client. Even before they say yes, you have a new client. Yeah. See, that's a really big distinction between what we, I talked about when we first started talking in this interview is I'm just going to sell this, whatever this widget is or this service, I'm just going to sell it. As long as they buy it, then yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm done. I did my job. Yeah. And if I talk to enough people, I'll get enough yeses and I'll be able to get that commission. Yeah. 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 And, you know, there was something else. That, can you talk about the difference sometimes when you're talking to someone, like, let's say you're looking for leads or prospecting, as you call mm -hmm. them. Yep. You're not necessarily trying to sell them right then and there, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is something um, James on your team had talked to me about. And I was like, oh, so can you <laughs> can you tell me about that? Yeah. Yeah. Again. So, and, and you were like, wait, what? Right. Yeah. So I'm not trying to sell them in the first meeting. And that's another challenge for traditional salespeople. Can we just say traditional selling equals amateur salesperson? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Right. So what do amateur salespeople do? If they get in front of anybody at any time, that's a living, breathing potential prospect in the first meeting, boy, they're swinging for the fences. They're trying to get that home run right now. That's a big mistake. Big mistake. I remember years ago, you'll probably hear that sentence a lot if you talk to me. I remember years ago, I, got a, I, had, I went to a networking event. Let's talk about prospecting. If I had to start all over today and I was fully vaccinated and we were one out of two shots for the record, I got the other one coming up in a couple of weeks. But if I were to, to start all over again tomorrow or today and I could go to networking events, first thing I would do is go to networking events and I would meet people. And all I would do is get to know them. So if I go to a networking event and there's 200 people there, I'm going to strike up a conversation with someone. Hey, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. This is who I am. And we'll just talk for a few minutes. And if I hear something that leads me to believe that I could potentially help them, I would invite them to coffee. That's always been, that's how I roll with professional coaching. I would invite them to a coffee meeting. In that coffee meeting, I'm just chatting and get, getting to know them. I'm not trying to sell them. If during the coffee meeting, I hear something that leads me to believe that I could potentially help them with, with coaching or with my product or service, then I would invite them to a consultation where we do a deep dive to determine whether or not there's a good fit.
So you might've met me at a networking event and then had coffee with me and I never tried to sell you. And then you come to a consultation with me where by the way, I do zero coaching and zero selling. That's my sales meeting. In the sales meeting, I do zero selling. I take you through the sales conversation and you don't feel like I'm trying to sell you. So check this out. Years ago, networking event, met a guy, life insurance, life insurance, investments, something like that. Anyway, met him. Yeah, let's get coffee. We meet for coffee like a week later. I, I show up at the Starbucks. You're welcome, Starbucks. Now you're on Christina's podcast. Send me royalties. <laughs> um, we sh- I show up at the, at the Starbucks. He was already there. So kudos, point for him because he was there early. Uh, when I walked in, I looked over, there he is at a big table. He looked like he just arrived from the airport. He had like two bags with him on one of those little rolly things on the in front of him on the desk, on the table. He had his, his laptop out. He had a little iPad. He had like, and I, I walked in, I was like, oh, I see what's happening. And I went and I got my coffee and I, hey, hey, nice to meet you. And I sit down and He did a great job for like 10 minutes. He was asking me about me and he was building rapport. And then Christina, he goes, he goes, well, hey, let me tell you about my company. And you know, the reason I decided to get involved in this and he, and he started to, started to tell me about the the founder and he reached over to like grab his binder and I go, we'll call him Bill. I go, hey, whoa, 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 Bill, hold on, hold on, hold on. Listen, I want to make sure we're on the same page. I came here in here to meet with you just to get to know you. I wasn't planning on trying to sell you anything. And I hope you're not about to try to sell me something because if that's the case, that would make me really uncomfortable. I visibly watched him deflate. (laughs) It was like, it was like, he was like, (laughs) he did. He goes, oh, well, well, no, no. I I was here just to get to know you too. I I just, sure. Right, I totally. But that's pretty typical of amateur slash traditional salespeople. If they get a prospect in their sights, they have to swing for the fences because they're afraid. They think I've got this one opportunity to sell, and they're all about high pressure. And they know if I don't sell you in this meeting, I'm going to be chasing you. And that's usually yeah. what happens. The chase is on. Poke, poke, yeah. poke. Are you ready? Poke, poke, poke. You want to buy now? Poke, poke, poke. Right. So when it comes to to prospecting. The first meeting with somebody does not necessarily need to be a sales meeting. And if it is a sales meeting, don't suffer from alligator syndrome. Don't do features and benefits selling. We're tired of it. I'm a buyer. You're a buyer. I'm tired of it. Don't try traditional selling on me. Here's another real quick. Mm -hmm. Zoom. I love Zoom. We're on Zoom right now. Way back when, when I was first getting on Zoom, I was like, what is this whole Zoom thing? And I had a couple of people that were working with me at my company. And I, I connected with the account guy and I said, hey, we're really interested, but we want to meet with you. We've got some questions and oh, okay, no problem. So we hop on Zoom with the Zoom guy. It's me and my team. And there we are. Hey, thanks for joining me, he says, everybody. And, and so let me go ahead and explain to you what Zoom's all about. And he throws a slide show up there, his deck. And I, I was polite. I let him go for about five or six minutes. And then Matt, Matt's his name, about five, six minutes. And, and finally I go, I go, Matt, Matt, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me stop you. Look, man, we don't care about your company's history. We, we don't care about your slide deck. I, I mean, I apologize, but we really don't care. I know that you were trained to do this a certain way. We have no interest in hearing anything about that. We actually have very specific questions we'd like to ask. And if you answer them, we're going to sign on. 
but we don't care about any of that. Oh, 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 yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, what, what's up? What are your questions? I'd be like, oh, thank God I don't have to go through that. Right? I'm tired of doing this stupid presentation. They made me memorize it, right? Yeah, so when you have a first contact with a prospective client, depending on your product or service, it doesn't need to be a sales meeting. And if it is a sales meeting, please don't sell features and benefits. Please don't overcome stalls and objections because as buyers, we're tired of it. When I worked for that collection agency, the second one that hired me, and I went through the little sales training guy, the old guy that came in, yeah. when, when I would call doctor's offices, I'd get an office manager on the phone, cold calling, right? Bring, bring, she answers and hi, is this so-and-so? And oh yeah, you're the office man. Oh great, I'd love to come by and chat with you sometime. And oh, can you send me some information? Right, we'd have this conversation, this going back and forth. And, and eventually, a lot of the time, I'd get them to agree to meet with me. Cold calling's tough, I don't care who you are. And then when I would go to that meeting, there was no coffee meeting. There was no getting to know them. I was going straight in to do a sales meeting. But because of the way that I learned to sell, they don't feel like I'm selling them. It feels to them like I'm genuinely there to learn about them and their business to determine whether or not we can help them. There is never a, hey, so are you ready to sign on the dotted line? That doesn't happen. It never happens. You're really good at that though, by the way. I know that. Hey, I should, I should do voiceover. Hey, so you come should. on in today. And there was, um, there, there was an engineer, a transportation engineer a few years ago. He came to me for sales training and one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I sat down with him. We did the consultation. When we were done, we were leaving the room. This is when I had an office at a WeWork. Ah, props to WeWork. There you go, guys. Send me royalties. So we, we met at WeWork. And after the meeting, we came out of the conference room. This guy's name is Mike. And I said, I said, hey, Mike, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. Um, I, I got a question. Did, did you feel like I just sold you? And he goes, no, we, we just did a consultation. And I said, okay, uh, because you're going to come into my sales training and I'm going to teach you how to do what I just did with you in there. And he goes, what? what did you do? And he just sat there <laughs> like, what did you do? How did you do that? He didn't feel like I was selling him. Prospects should never feel like you're selling them. If they feel like you're selling them, you're an amateur salesperson. And for yeah. those that are listening to this and you want to learn how to sell, but you don't want to be perceived as that, hey, so come on in. What's it going to take to get you to drive off the lot today? If you don't want to come across that way, you can learn how to do it in a non-traditional, non-salesy way. Yes. Um, can we talk about what you said, though, about um, overcoming objections? Because that's sure. something that if you just go on Facebook, you will see so many sales coaches or trainers huh? that will have little seminars about overcoming objections. It's like yeah. a big thing right? Yeah. <laughs> but you say you really just want to know if the person is at a yes or a no, not a maybe like, let's figure out if we're a good fit or not. Yeah. But and that's an end result. Yes. Normally, normally during the sales conversation, there's usually some sort of an objection or a stall that happens because you're trying to sell them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I'm, sure. So um, overcome objections, when you say that, what I think about, and tell me if I'm just in the wrong part of the conversation, but what I'm thinking is I get to the end and they say no. Mm -hmm. And then I'm trying to talk them out of the no. 
Yeah. Or they say, oh, well, this sounds really good, but it's just a lot more than I thought it was going to be. That's another mistake traditional sales, amateur salespeople make is they wait to talk about money until the very end. So if somewhere along the line during the sales conversation, you blew it, if they felt like you were trying to sell them and they got uncomfortable and they thought you were being aggressive and sneaky and manipulative like everybody else, if at some point in the sales conversation, they, they felt that way at the end of the end, or if they feel like you weren't listening to them, like you were telling them what they should do, how your solution is going to help them, but they're not on the same page because you're not letting them talk. When you get to the end, they're going to say something like, oh, well, this is just more than I thought it was going to be. Maybe reach out to me in another month. I might be in a better position. Or they might say, well, you know, I got to talk to my business partner or I got to talk to my spouse or well, I'll talk to them and I'll get back to you next week. Or, And then so salespeople are trained on how to overcome those objections or overcome those stalls. Yeah. Oh, well, it is kind of expensive, but it, you know, if you were to stop smoking... You'd be saving how much? And then you can afford our product or service. Or, I mean, it's just, they're trained on how to overcome those stalls and objections. And those things happen as a result of the salesperson doing a poor job during the sales meeting. The only person that can overcome stalls and objections is the prospect, not the salesperson. So you're really kind of laying the foundation to even prevent those yeah. Like prophylactic, if you will. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very, yes. In smart, <laughs> in smart systematic selling, we don't get objections. We don't get stalls because of the way the conversation flows. The prospect overcomes their own stalls and objections as they're having the conversation with you subconsciously. They don't even realize they're doing it, but because of the way the conversation flows, they're overcoming their own stalls and objections. And most importantly, because they feel heard. Yeah. Yeah. This is all good stuff. Thank you yeah. for sharing some of your secrets, Theophon. Yeah. Well, I, I'm happy to share from a 30,000 foot view. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. There's yeah, five. And tell, yes. Do that five. and tell five. us about um, S3 because I want people to work with you. Me too. There's five steps. There's five steps to the sales conversation. First thing we do in a sales meeting. So imagine you're in front of your prospect, your lead, your PNC, the person that could potentially buy from you. You're sitting in front of them. The first thing you want to do in your meeting is you want to set an agenda for your meeting. You want to let them know exactly what it is that you're there to do. I mean, I was in Toastmasters for years, toastmasters.org, if you're not sure what it is, public speaking. And they have an agenda for every Toastmasters meeting. They're in and out in an hour. Businesses, business meetings have agendas. So why not have an agenda for our sales meeting? So we set an oral agenda for our meeting with the prospect so that everybody's on the same page. We all know what we're there to do. And I've set the agenda and I've had prospects say, oh, I like that. Or like when I'm meeting with salespeople, they go, oh, could I use that? I'm like, yeah, of course you can. You should always set an agenda for your meetings. So the first thing we do out of the gate is we set an oral agenda for our meeting. So everybody's on the same page. We all know what we're there to do. And we understand the desired outcome. We're either going to say no or yes right? The next thing we do is what we call a needs assessment. In the needs assessment step, that's where we are asking curious questions and practicing active listening to determine whether or not we can actually help the prospect. And this is the hardest part for traditional salespeople because you're barely talking. You're asking a question based on what they just shared with you and they're talking more. So they're getting it out. They're letting you know what's going on, what they need, and you're listening very, very well. 
after we identify their needs in the needs assessment step, if we have a good fit, if we think we, oh, hey, I could, yeah, we've got, we can fix that. We can solve that. We've got a product for that, right? If that is happening, if there's, if there's a good qualifier, we have a need. The next thing we do, we talk about money. We don't wait till the end. We talk about money right after we do our needs assessment step because we want to make sure that they can afford our product or service. We're not afraid. We get it out. Let's have that conversation, that negotiation. If you find out they have the money for your product or service, that's qualified. Now you make sure you're in front of all the right people. So we call this the decision maker step. It's just a quick question. I just want to know, is there anybody else that would be involved in this decision if you decided to work with us? Quick qualifier. If that's the case, then the last thing we do is our presentation step. Most amateur slash traditional, no offense, everybody, but kind of trying to be offensive to get your, get your attention. Most traditional salespeople, they do the presentation step at the beginning and they do the money step at the end. That's backwards. The money step should be right in the middle. Once you realize that they have a need for your product or service, let's talk about money and make sure you can afford to, to buy said product or service. So agenda, needs assessment, money decision makers, then the last thing that we do is our presentation. We lay out for them what it's gonna look like if they decide to work with us. And I'll tell you right now that once we cross the threshold from the decision maker step into the presentation step, there's no reason for them to say no, because they're a fully qualified prospect. So now it makes sense for us to explain to them, this is how we do what we do and what it's going to look like when you work with us. And if they cross the threshold into the presentation step, there's a 95, 95, yeah, about a 96% chance that you've got a yes. So if you don't get the yes, you likely did something wrong previously in the conversation. Yep. There was some non-transparent language, like maybe in the, in the money step, when you were talking about that, you said, oh yeah, it's going to be $10,000 for this new roof. And they go, oh yeah, I've got plenty of money. That's vague. They didn't just say they had $10,000. They said, oh, I've got plenty of money. I don't know what plenty means. So if you didn't clarify exactly that, oh, so you, you've got the resources to afford to replace this roof if you decided to, so you do have 10,000? Yeah, I've got 10,000, right? So, so if at the end you still get a no or an I want to think about it, that means you missed something along the way. You blew it as the salesperson. Well, if you haven't sold, I like to call it the sausage factory. If you right. haven't sold them the sausage factory because you haven't gone into the the presentation step mm-hmm. yet, right? Mm-hmm. What is it? Yeah. Features and benefits. Yeah. You haven't told them like, hey, I'm so great. You know, that's why you should hire me. <laughs> yeah. You haven't done that yet. So aren't they sort of assessing when they get to the money step that what is your value in terms of what you're selling? So if I'm selling something for $10,000, mm-hmm. well, I might have $10,000, but mm-hmm. am I going to pay you $10,000? So where do you sort of address that? Yes. And let me tell you why. Because I'm probably the first person, the first salesperson that you've sat with that's actually listened to you and genuinely been interested in you or your business or whatever it is that we're there to talk about. I'm probably the first salesperson that you've met with that's actually sat there and listened. And because I know my product or service so well, I'm able to ask you curious questions in such a way to get you to share with me about your specific problems. If I didn't know my stuff, I wouldn't be able to ask you those questions in the first place. 
So by the time that I go from the needs assessment step into the money step, you as a prospect are going, wow, this person gets me. And you haven't even told them anything. Because the last three salespeople they met with told them what they need. Oh, this is what you need. This is how we're going to provide a solution. This is how we're going to do it. But because I was the first salesperson that actually listened to you, you go, I like Theophan. He's a good listener. And if you think that when somebody makes a purchase, they're not purchasing you, they're purchasing the company you represent, you're wrong. When people purchase from a salesperson, they're buying the salesperson. They really like you. They've got a connection with you and they want to buy from you. You yes. are the face of the company. It's true. So, yeah. <clears throat> I, I leased a car recently. Uh-huh. I feel like car salesmen are the worst. They are. They <laughs> are. I always go, really? They hate people hate lawyers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why are we, why are there all these lawyer jokes? There should be car salesman jokes, right? Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you before you share this story. Yeah. For, for anybody that's out there that's listening that owns a car dealership, I have yet to train a car dealership in this model of selling. Take me on. I guarantee I'll increase your conversion rate. Oh, I would love to see that. I really would love to see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, wouldn't, that wouldn't that be awesome if you sit down in a car dealership? I, I worked at a car, car dealership here in Oregon for a month. It was terrible. It was terrible. A month. Because first of all, I'm a hunter. I have to go get. I like to go get. I don't like to wait for people to come to me in a car dealership. So you just sit there and wait yeah. for them to come to you. And they made me read their script and they made me say it in a certain way. And I, I that drives me nuts because that's not conversational. I'm not finding out what you need. I'm telling you what you need. I would love to see one of those scripts. So I went to this one place. I knew what I wanted. I wanted a Jeep. Mm-hmm. And so, and I had done research. So I kind of knew generally how much the lease payment should be. Yeah. And so I go and it was someone sort of new, maybe. I don't know if he really was new, if he was just telling me that he was new. But every time we would talk about a price, he would have to go in the back. I'm putting in the back and finger quotes. I'm like, who the hell is back there that he's talking to? Yeah. But several times. Oh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can do that. You know, I got to go in the back and then he comes out and he's like, oh, you know, the the very best I can do is, you know, X amount of dollars. And we went round and round like this a couple of times. And I just was Mm -hmm. like, just stop it Mm because I I don't want to do the dance. I'm like, just stop. Like, this is how much I want to pay. If they can't do it, Mm -hmm. then there's nothing more to discuss here. And um, and I left and I really left with such a disgusting taste in my mouth over the whole thing. It was just so ridiculous. And so I went to a different dealer and it was not like that at all. The guy was so nice. I never got the sense he was just trying to sell me something. Like, obviously he's trying to sell me something, but yeah, it was an open dialogue and I felt so good about the whole thing. And, and I got the car from him and he gave me the price I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it, it's a tactic that a lot of car dealerships use. And if you'd asked, if you were just like, "Hey, bring the guy out from behind the curtain, or I'm leaving," the guy behind the curtain doesn't come out. The finance the finance guy he doesn't come out, but that's the bad guy. So they lean into the bad guy, and they're like, "Oh, well, it's not me. I'm your advocate, Christina. It's not me. It's it's the finance guy. He says we can't we can't do this together, right?" 
So it, yeah, it's just. I a, want it to be like, is there really even a guy back there, or does know, he just right? go and like you know sip his water and like oh I gotta wait a couple <laughs> minutes so she thinks I'm talking to somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or hey, manager, can I see my cue cards? Oh, that's right. That's what I gotta go back out and say. Okay, got it. Yeah. Or or I imagine them because as a woman, it's I don't want to say intimidating to walk into a car dealership, but you sort of feel like, are they going to treat me differently because I'm a woman here and I, I don't have a dude with me. <laughs> so maybe that was happening. I don't really know, but I sort of felt like they might be going back there. Tell her this, tell uh-huh. her this. Yep. So. Yeah. And they think they're sneaky, but we feel so gross yeah. after buying a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's exactly the kind of selling you don't want to do. So tell us about S3 and, and the program and mm-hmm. how people can um, look you up if they're interested in learning more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, www.s3.training, which is morphing as we speak. We're, we're working on uh, updating the website, if you will. But that, that's where you go to find out a little bit more about us. Uh, and <clears throat> there's, there's a couple of different ways to go. So we've got the Smart Systematic Selling Bootcamp. And that can be consumed in a couple of different ways. There's the bootcamp video training, which is on our website, on our training platform that you could go to and enroll in right now. Uh, or there's the live training that we do. And in order to determine whether or not live training would be a, a better fit for you, you would meet with uh, either Jennifer or James. They're two of our, our sales folks at, at Smart Systematic Selling. And they would sit down with you and, and do said deep dive, right? Uh, but the, so, so there's the boot camp, the training that you would go through either video or live. And then once you've gone through the boot camp, you've got the basic training, hence boot camp. We recognize that that's not enough. I mean, how many times have we read a book or gone to a seminar or a workshop and we've learned something? We're like, oh, I'm going to apply this right away. And then we go back and we apply it. And then later something doesn't work and we get a little frustrated and we forgot what we learned. And inevitably we go back to what we used to do. Yes. Right? You, you, can't, you can't teach a teenager. I'm, I'm actually taking my daughter. My youngest daughter is learning how to drive. She's 16. So she's learning and I'm, I'm taking her out a couple times a week. She's getting some driving practice. I, I know she can't learn how to drive a car by reading the driver's manual. That would be like saying, okay, sweetie, read the driver's manual. Then we're going to go take you to the, to the DMV and you can go with an instructor and they'll, they'll take you and do your test. That doesn't work, right? You can't teach a kid how to drive a car by reading the driver's manual. You can't learn something in a good way by watching a work, going to a workshop or reading a book and then trying to apply it. It's just not going to work. You've got to have ongoing reinforcement. So when people finish our boot camp, whether it's video or live, finish the boot camp, they come into something called the Smart Systematic Selling Dojo. The dojo is where students can get that ongoing reinforcement. They get to practice with like-minded students that have been through the exact training as them, and they get to role play. You were sharing earlier that you're the first time you came into role play in the dojo. So they get to role play with other students. The, the dojos are an hour long. In that one hour dojo, what we typically do is we welcome the students. Hey, good to see you. We go over housekeeping. We ask the students who has a win to share in relation to using S3 personally or professionally. Side note. A lot of the stuff you use, you learn in the sales training, you can learn, use in your personal life. 
because it really is enhancing your ability to communicate with other human beings. So we ask who has a window share in relation to using S3 personally or professionally. And then our trainer will go and do an overview of one of the steps or techniques that you learned in the sales training. And then he'll demonstrate it. And then the trainer will break the students up into, into the, the breakout rooms in Zoom so they can practice role play with each other. And he will hop around and listen in as you're, as you're practicing, maybe give you some feedback, maybe just listen in. It just depends. But that's what happens in a one-hour dojo. And our goal is to have at least 30 to 40 minutes of role-playing in each dojo. And we call it a dojo because a couple of reasons. First of all, because I've got a, a background for 20 plus years in martial arts on and off different styles and stuff. And so in a martial arts dojo, that's what happens. You come in, you got your white belt, the instructor shows you a technique, pairs you up with another student and you get to practice. We do something similar in the dojo and we have a belt system. So when you finish the, the, the boot camp, you come into the dojo as an S3 white belt. And then with time and practice, you can test for yellow, orange, green, blue, purple, brown, and black. Because we know that as you work towards mastery and you take your belt tests, you start to feel better and better. The conversations become easier and easier. You become more comfortable with selling in general. And we also know that salespeople love recognition and achievement. So we have a belt system right? So um, <clears throat> when you come into the dojo, you start as a white belt and with time and practice, you can test for different belts. Also, as you test and pass different belts, it unlocks additional trainings. So for white belts and above, we have the S3 dojo for beginners, which happens four times a week right now. Once you get to yellow belt, it unlocks the S3 dojo mega practice, which happens once a month where you can take another student through the entire sales conversation with the trainer there to listen in and give feedback. Uh, when you get to orange belt, that's we have an S3 dojo for intermediate students, which is currently happening three times a week. Once you get to blue belt, we've got an advanced dojo. We also have open office hours once a week for 90 minutes where I'm in there. I just hang out. And if students pop in, I'll answer their questions. If nobody shows up, I just sit there and work. But like yesterday, yesterday was Wednesday. I think we had seven or eight students pop in. It was great. John yeah. was there. John was yeah. there. And yeah. So it was, it was great. But so, so we've got the boot camp. Once you finish the boot camp, you come into the dojo to continue practicing what you learned and to work towards mastery. You can't teach a kid how to drive a car by reading the driver's manual. You have to get out there and practice, practice, practice. So we allow and offer that practice, practice, practice with trained instructors, trained by me, instructors. And yeah, that way yeah. you get it. It works. I I really enjoy it. And I the the dojo is great because especially after you do the boot camp and you first start doing the dojo, it's nice because you're practicing what you learned. Mm -hmm. And it kind of becomes your muscle memory. Oh yeah. 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 We've got we've got students, George. His name is George. <clears throat> if he's watching this, he's been with us for years. And I think he's uh, I think he's blue belt now. I think he's blue belt. I have to go look, but George has been with us for probably three years. And it's really funny because George will come in and practice for a few months and feel really good. And then he'll go away. And then he'll come back like two or three months later. And at the end of the dojo, we ask for, for takeaways. And whenever George is there, I'll be like, 
oh, I don't know why I was gone again for two months. I, I, you get rusty so fast. I mean, repetition is the mother of skill. You've got to practice, practice, practice. And our students know that. You've got to be consistent. You've got to keep coming and practicing. Yeah, um, actually, Carrie, who um, mm -hmm. some of my viewers will know, Carrie Schultz, who actually was saying that too, that she hadn't yeah. been in in a while and she That's felt a right. little rusty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I can't say enough good things about S3. And I hope that some of my peeps that I've been trying to talk into it um, because I know they need sales help. Um, I hope that they will um, listen to everything that we've talked about today and give you yeah. a call, Theophon. I was going to say I would be honored and grateful to have the opportunity to, to help them. So, um, yeah, I mean, ba based on this, if, if you've listened to this podcast and you're like, I want more information, I want in. Uh, reach out to Jennifer at s3.training. Just send her an email out of the blue and say, I listened to Christina's podcast. I want to chat with you. And she'll get a meeting on the calendar with you. Yes. And I will have everything in the show notes too, so that everybody will be able to easily retrieve that information. Awesome. But thank you so much, Theophan. Would love yeah. to do this again. Thanks for sharing your war stories too. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call, the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.